What's up? Welcome to Music Appreciation 101, which is now turned into Love Music More. I'm joined by a very special guest, Skinny Dippers, aka Ryan, who is going to be talking about his musical journey, kind of what it's like to be a uh, musician on the other side of the United States, and uh, all that all that comes with that. So, welcome, welcome to the pod, Ryan. Thanks, Scoob. Good to be here. Excited to be on the show. Yeah, it's great. Uh, just a little bit of background. We um, have worked together. I actually did a remix of one of your tunes, Highs and Lows. I'd love to talk about that process, talk about all that goes into being a musician. Um, but before we do that, why don't we just start with a little intro about yourself? What's your project like? How did you kind of come up in music? Let's let the listeners know a little bit about you. Sure, yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, my name is Ryan, and I developed this kind of new indie music project, I guess, for lack of a better term, during the pandemic called Skinny Dippers, where kind of right as the pandemic was about to hit, I was getting some friends together. We were thinking about playing some gigs, maybe doing some recording, but it was very loose, freeform, didn't really have much of an idea of what we wanted to do with it or how it was going to work. But then when the pandemic happened, I had all this free time in my hands mm-hmm. and was kind of learning more about production and making music and decided, hey, I think I'm going to put out a single. That's like my kind of first goal here. And then from there, it's kind of picked up into a larger pro- uh, project with lots of different collaborators that I brought in, but grew up my whole life playing music. Um, I'm from Maine where I played keyboard when I was about four or five years old, oh, cool. played trumpet through you know middle school, high school band and was in ska bands with friends and kind of picked up a guitar just from a friend. And from there I've, I've played you know in lots of bands. I played banjo in a folk Americana band coming out of college and uh, Mostly now guitar, bass, vocals, but I do a little keys, still play a little trumpet every now and then. So that's kind of the background of how I got started. That's awesome. And then um, kind of in terms of you you moved from Maine uh, to, to Brooklyn, is it? Yeah. So I moved down to New York to go to school mm-hmm. down here cool. and then uh, lived kind of in like the village for a while nice. and, and moved awesome. out to Brooklyn where now I've been in Brooklyn for the last 10 years or so. Very, very cool. Yeah, I, I love the love the music scene out there. Um, really, really, uh, really, really fun times in both Brooklyn and and the Village. Love. Um, did you ever go to Fat Cat? The um, I guess it's called yeah. Cellar Dog now. Love that spot. All my and yeah, NYU Fat buddies. Cat's really yeah. cool. Great jazz music in there. Totally. Uh, you you can't go wrong anywhere you go in New York. I feel like you're probably going to catch some good music on any given night. Absolutely, even the park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially the park. Yeah, heard some head turning jazz musicians in Central Park. Um, so yeah, let's 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 talk about um, multi instrumentalism. I feel like that's always really interesting about kind of the musical paths that people um, choose and maybe find them of going from instrument to instrument. So, what from early on what attracted you, you know, to to trumpet? I guess. Yeah. So, trumpet, I think, was different for me because I had played piano for a few years. Yeah. It was more like my parents, you know, were right. like, Hey, you should get a hobby. Foundational, and, you know, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And I, I loved making music and kind of, I loved being a performer. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a really funny video of me when I'm probably four or five years old, kind of spinning around in these race car helmets and sombreros, all these other kids playing Leroy lazy duck. I still remember the song. I could play it for you on piano right now. Awesome. Uh, but with trumpet, I think, 
I saw it as this great soloist instrument where to mm -hmm. me, it seems like, oh, if you're the trumpet player, you're playing, you know, the melody and you Absolutely. get to play all the cool parts that stand out and brass instruments seem so big and bold and brash. And so I think that was really attractive to me as like a 10 year old who was kind of sick of piano and keyboard. And I wanted to play in the school band with my friends and, and learn more about how I could uh, do more with music, I guess, because to me, it was always, this is the thing that your parents told you to do that you practice and you kind of sign up and I liked figuring things out. But to me, trumpet was a way to do it with friends as part of school band, which was really, really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, did you, do you feel like some of that stuff, uh, like foundationally changed the way that you think of music now? Like when you are, you know, writing a tune or whatever, do you feel like that experience of doing it in ensemble settings and in different genres and stuff like that inform kind of the music that you're ultimately making now as a pro? I think somewhat. So I think probably the way in which I think about arrangements probably came cool. from playing in yeah. like orchestra, jazz yeah. band, where yeah. you have you know four or five trumpet parts and there's harmony. And, and I used to love, probably my band teacher would hate this, but like making up little parts where when you're playing with like a hundred kids, you know, and it's this cacophony of sound, I would sometimes try to play harmonies or make things cool. up because I would get a little bored. Uh -huh. yeah. And so I do the same thing now when I'm writing songs, right? Where you kind of make a part and then rather than kind of writing out parts as some people might do if they're working on arrangements, mm -hmm. I'll kind of just play a bunch of loops and think about harmonies, which I'm sure a lot of other bedroom songwriters will do. And that was, I think, kind of instilled in those early days of just playing these trumpet parts with an orchestra and kind of seeing how it all fits together versus, again, you solo at a piano, just kind of playing some parts as you know, a kid when I wasn't really playing with other people yet. I like that. I like that. Um, in terms of your process, let's just jump around a little bit. Uh, going into like arranging and the way that you are doing that, like doing loops, what kind of do you use a, a DAW? Like, is there a program of choice? And what's your kind of workflow for that improvisational side of arranging? Yeah. So I use Logic. Cool. Uh, I've got a Logic set up with Mac. And for me, I usually start with a melody. So nice. I've tried to play around with form and, and, kind of songwriting styles to see what I can do that might be a little different or step outside of my comfort zone. So mm -hmm. I've actually done some pretty cool classes through a program called School of Song, if you've ever heard Not of familiar, it. No. And a lot of it is these songwriting exercises oh, where cool. they have really, really cool, sometimes well-known musicians mm -hmm. uh, and songwriters come in talking about their process and talking about different exercises or tools they'll use to write a new song. And so Neat. That's been pretty cool mixing it up, but I also feel like getting back to my bread and butter really yep. is grab an acoustic guitar, mm -hmm. find a cool chord pattern, and then find a melody that works over that. So I typically start with that. I feel like you, once you have that kind of foundation of, or I have that foundation of melody and guitar chords, it kind of starts to get a vibe. And I mm -hmm. know what the song might be about based on the kind of chord character that you're okay. using yeah. uh, so yeah, yeah. you know if it has minor chords it might be a sad song mm -hmm. <laughs> that right, kind of right, thing right. major chords might be happy and so from there i think that then feeds into where i might go arrangement wise where if it was a really you know melodramatic sad song just for a simple example sure. maybe i would have some soft piano or something behind it right or some sort of string pad i would use in logic uh, whereas if it was maybe up more upbeat and energetic maybe i would grab my trumpet, right? And start to layer on some of those where I want to have that bombastic energy that a brass instrument might bring. And so I think sometimes the mood you're going for and the kind of dynamics of what you're recording can kind of inform the way I would think about arrangement and what songs would fit best in it. 
I like that. I like that. And then when you're when you're like part writing, when you say say you pick up that trumpet and you're looking for something bombastic and you're you're looping stuff, what are you what are you kind of trying to do? Are you are you trying to jump off of that melody? Are you trying to add new sections? Like kind of how do you end up building that nucleus and then fleshing that out into a full full tune? I think sometimes you're just finding the hooks or the yeah, earworms. Yeah. So uh-huh. I try to have that mantra that most things should be able to stand on their own, right? Okay. So there's yeah. definitely the kind of parts that are just the glue parts i think right. i think of them as where they're kind of in there to make the other parts fit together but you want to have those earworms that people are going to be humming or what stands out even if it's not a vocal melody if i'm creating a trumpet part or if there's a lead guitar part i want people to be able to whistle it or kind of hum it in their head and me and some old bandmates used to have a pretty funny joke where whenever somebody would write a song we'd bring it in for the band we would say it has to pass the kazoo test and the kazoo test okay, would be I like the melody it. of the song and then like essentially the bass part or like the root chords right uh-huh. and if it was good if you just played it with two kazoos then it's probably a good song but if it's really more reliant on other things then it's probably maybe good because of the lyrical content but it's not good because of the hooks and so if you can start by getting really good hooks then my idea is you got the great foundation of a great song i like that that's a great little nugget that could go in what was the thing called song something uh, the masterclass series that you were talking yeah, about, the school of song, school yeah. of song. That's like that's like a school of song nugget right there. The kazoo test. I really like that. I mean, that's that's a cool way to think about it too. Like, uh, some people have told me about how if the song could be sped up or slowed down, no problem, then it's a good song too. And I, I actually think it's really interesting. Like TikTok and and social media is like all about sped up and slowed down because that is like a classic test of a great melody is if it's flexible can go to different keys different um, different tempos and i like the kazoo thing is like an extension of that that same kind of idea if, if it's good it can it can fit into yeah. a different space yeah or like and um, that's almost yeah. like go for it i was gonna say it's almost like how you hear these totally different genre covers of songs that's and exactly they still what sound great yep. because it's it's exactly. got that great hook it doesn't matter you could do it in any way you could arrange it in any way so all the points I was maybe making earlier about like giving this close and careful thought to arrangement almost doesn't matter if you've got a great (laughs) song to start with. Right. That's a good point. But it also speaks to what you were saying about, um, about like starting with melody and having that kind of be the centerpiece of what you're doing. Cause yeah, if, if you're failing on that, then it doesn't really matter what other things you put around it. Um, it's, it's, it's losing that center of gravity, that nucleus that it needs. I agree with you there. hundred percent. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, in terms of kind of, the so you you have the bedroom side of kind of what you're doing which is that you know solo introspective you're looping you're kind of in your world um in terms of like collaboration and getting out of that i know that a lot of musicians kind of went through this where you kind of had pandemic mode and now we're like post pandemic mode and trying to like come out come out of my shell and doing just fine kind of <laughs> kind of thing of like <laughs> like bringing people back in so how did, how did you conceptualize that of doing these reworks these remixes involving other people and and kind of growing your your community sure so i would say even prior to the remix project definitely wasn't doing it all alone so i think cool. the kind of support crew that i have is a huge part of what skinny dippers became right okay, and the idea yeah. originally was doing some shows with some friends. I've got these songs I really want to put out into the world, but none of them were recorded. So when the pandemic started, it was, all right, I'm going to make some demos. I'm going to up my production chops because I had Mm -hmm. always had logic, but never really knew what I was doing. It was kind of just playing around, Mm -hmm. but I was just watching videos like crazy, reading everything I could read and and just playing around to actually get some decent recordings. As I was doing that, um, 
I put out a single with my buddy Harper James. He's a Brooklyn-based producer, and he actually did one of the reimagined versions of one of my songs. So uh, I did a song called Wedding Ring that he recently kind of remixed and did his own middle youth version of that you can find uh, everywhere my music is up online. But we did a song called Panties. (laughs) That was kind of a joke that I made just for fun as this kind of quarantine bop. And then I just put it out there to say, hey, I just want to have something out there that's just me as opposed to Mm -hmm. these other groups I had played in where, you know, I might have played Mm -hmm. banjo in a band or bass in a band or this or that. But I said, I just want to do something that sounds exactly the way I want it. So Harper Mm -hmm. and I put out a song, went well, uh, but I wanted to keep growing that musical community. So I had the idea of putting out this album called The Town and the City, um, which is the album that I have out now on Spotify that includes the original highs and low track. Yeah. And the whole idea was I'm going to take a bunch of the songs that I wrote in the years between kind of when I first left Maine, moved to New York, almost like a greatest hits, just to get these songs out into the world that I've never actually recorded and published. Because I feel like if I don't do that, Mm -hmm. I just will never have a clean slate. Like I've got to finish these basically. Yeah. And uh, after having put out my first single, Panties, Hmm. uh, I kind of got to learn the landscape of how people kind of promote their songs and how to get on playlists and whatnot. So I was using tools like Submit Hub or other people use some like Groover or Playlist Push or some of these tools. Mm-hmm. And while on Submit Hub, I was seeing a lot of other artists uh, on the genre charts. So mm. may have been how I first found some of your stuff. Cool, yeah. Uh, I'm seeing like other artists that are doing uh-huh. well that blogs are picking up or they're getting on playlists. Mm-hmm. I found another band that was a Brooklyn band called Vern Matz. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this Holy. is a really cool track. I'm loving this. Uh, I'm going to follow this artist on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Uh, And actually, I think at the time I might not have even realized he was in Brooklyn. (laughs) I just said, this is cool music. I'm going to follow it. Right. And I was like, oh, this guy's also a Brooklyn guy. I'm going to have to go check out a show. Yeah. And I realized he was posting more and more like produced with Toledo um, or another uh, Brooklyn group here. It's two guys, Dan and Jordan. They have this band Toledo. And so I, I noticed that I love the Vern Matt stuff. Mm-hmm. I love Toledo stuff. And I said, mm-hmm. they, they have this sound that I think sounds a lot like what I'm trying to do. Yeah. It looks like they're in the same neighborhood as me. Yeah. I should shoot these guys a message. So uh-huh. I literally just reached out on Instagram and said, hey guys, like, looks like you're in Bushwick. I'm in Bushwick. We should get together for a coffee and, and talk about music. Like uh-huh. I'm working on an album. And they were like, yeah, that sounds great. And so we may have even done a Zoom first, kind of like this, but, uh-huh. and this is maybe getting a bit long-winded. But, no, no, I like it. It's good. <laughs> I right. Yeah, we can uh, chop this as needed. No, no, but, no, no. So I, <laughs> this is I great. met Dan and Jordan from Go for it. Toledo. Uh, we had a couple conversations so I could really figure out like what their process was, how those guys work, and kind of how they think about creating music. And they said, yeah, let's do a couple songs. We can create a mood board for the vibe. Send <laughs> us a playlist of some references of stuff you like. Uh, we got together and they totally just spoke the same language. Like we were talking about all the same bands that we liked. Um, they knew a bunch of the stuff that I'd sent them and they were like, we're totally on board. This is really cool. We were going to do something like three songs and we ended up turning it into a whole album. And then, uh, so I played a, some guitar on that, a uh, little bit of bass, but Dan and Jordan, they both play a bunch of instruments too. So Jordan played a bunch of lead guitar parts because cool. um, I wouldn't consider myself really much of a shredder. Mm-hmm. And then Dan played all the drums, played a lot of the bass parts, played some guitar stuff as well. So between the three of us, we did pretty much the whole album um, just in their basement at their studio they had. And then I brought in my friend, uh, Joanna Schubert, who plays as Orpendola to do a bunch of harmonies as well um, throughout the entire album. So basically between those two guys and my friend, Joanna, excuse me, Joanna, Mm -hmm. we tracked and recorded the whole album. To get it mixed, uh, I was considering doing it with my buddy Harper, who had been great, done a track with him. 
but when I showed the Toledo guys, Dan and Jordan, one of the songs, I had a mixed reference. So I said, yeah, I want this song to sound kind of like this song meets mm-hmm. this song. And one of the the artists that was one of my mixed references was Melina Duterte from JSOM. Mm. And they were like, oh, we actually know Melina. Cool. Like, she might be a cool option to mix nice. the album. Great. And she was one of my reference tracks. I was like, oh, that would be so cool. Yes. So ended up getting the connection there, spoke with Melina. She was super on board and she ended up mixing the whole record too. So kind of just from these random occurrences of meeting people that led to someone else that led to someone else. I feel like I really built this great team Mm -hmm. who knew exactly what I wanted and matched up perfectly with the kind of references I had going into it because I kind of sought out a certain type of, you know, player, mixer, producer based on the sounds I like. Well, I I really like that. And and don't feel like that was long winded because I think there's a lot of really cool information in there about, you know, say somebody's coming up and they're like, okay, how do I actually do this? Like say they're, say they're a musician, they play in their bedroom, but they're like, okay, I have gaps in certain skills. Like I need a lead guitarist, like you're saying, or a, a mix engineer that I feel really strongly about. That's a great way to do it. Like you can start just virtually and then you might find out, hey, there are people in my city, especially if you live in a major city, um, you know, there might be that synchronicity of following one person, realizing that they're down the street and then you are suddenly creating together and making something you never would have expected. So that's that's really beautiful. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think it's it's worked out whether they're down the street or whether it's somebody you meet online. Right. Uh, some of the connections I've made for these remixes, which I can talk a little bit about, Please. or even, you know, how to find the guy that does my mastering. Like that uh-huh. kind of thing was just, again, finding music that I liked, uh-huh. figuring out who made it and then, yeah. you know, making some connections sometimes saying, mm-hmm. hey, is this somebody that actually speaks the lang- same language as me that I want to work with? And that's worked out really, really well for me where I feel like if before someone had told me, like, just go find all the people that you like and send the messages, I think I would have been maybe a little intimidated by that. Yeah. But because of the way it kind of laid out step by step, it actually worked out being really easy. And I think if you bring something to someone that is in the vein in which they like to work and they they hear it, they can, you know, make up their own mind whether they want to work with you and do something cool, right? Totally, totally. And I I like the way that you were doing it too. And I think that's instructive of you're kind of finding what you needed at that moment. You didn't just try to find the entire team all at once. You, you know, like we need to produce this record. You produce the record, you identify the songs and then it's like, okay, now we got to mix it. Now you find the mix it. Now we got to master it. You find the mastering. You didn't have to like lay out the entire team all at once, which is something that I, you know, I, I, I felt daunted by as well of like, you need a lawyer and you need a manager and you need a mixer, you need a a mastering and all these things all at once. It seems impossible because it kind of is, you got to do it piece by piece. Totally. Yeah, love that. Um, in terms of just like music scene, I'm, I'm just curious, just uh, switching gears a little bit. Uh, Brooklyn music scene, indie music scene, what, what's it like? What are, what are the places that you like seeing shows? How do you, um, how do you like network? Um, what, are, what are some of the things that make you feel like you're you know, involved in the community and, and a part of the scene? Yeah, so I think we were talking about how you can see good music in so many places here in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty fortunate to live right down the road from a really cool venue. It's probably my favorite in New York, Baby's All Right, uh, where they've cool. just got amazing shows. So I can walk five minutes and go see some of my favorite no bands. No way, that's awesome. Cool. That's so cool. All right, I'm bookmarking, yeah, I mean, bookmarking right I've now. I've seen some bands like, yeah, you, one of your favorites too. Have you been there? No, I haven't been there. I, 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 I don't know a ton of, I'm from San Diego, so I don't know a ton of venues yeah. <laughs> um, in, in Brooklyn, but I got I to gotta go. It's bookmarked. Um, yeah, that one's great. Sick. Yeah. Um, 
unfortunately there have been a few that have shut down after the pandemic which bummer. is a bummer yep. it's, uh, I used to bartend when I first graduated from college when huh? I was kind of figuring out how do I make this music thing work or, you know, kind of what do I want to do with my career. And so I actually went to a lot of the venues that I played at and said, hey, can I bar back or like oh, cool. run the ropes here? That's a good idea. This place, the factory, yeah. and I worked with the Bowery Electric in Manhattan. And so that was great because I already had some ins there because I knew the people that had basically booked me there while Perfect. I was in college playing. Love it. Um, and that also, I think, allowed me to meet a lot of bands and meet other people that were in the music scene because a lot of the people that work at those kind of music venues are other musicians. So mm-hmm. that opened the door. Um, met a lot of people through school. So just going to school here in New York at NYU, totally. doing a music program. There's mm-hmm. a million amazing musicians, which is always a really great thing to have around. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I think uh, just meeting people through you know open mics and mm. shows, like house shows, concerts, house shows, yeah. I feel like... It seems like, although Brooklyn's a huge place with millions of people, <laughs> there's always kind of the same small crowd that goes to a lot of these smaller shows at these like, you know, yeah. 100, 200 person venues. So I end right. up seeing a lot of the same people around and meeting folks through other friends who are, you know, other engineers, other artists, other mm. mixers. And so that opens a lot of doors for really cool people you can work with, I feel like. I like that a lot. How have you, um, since you've been, since you've been there a while, have you felt like the scene has evolved? Have you, have you noticed any kind of change or has, has it felt kind of the same the whole time? One thing that I think's changed a lot, which maybe isn't as much of a positive, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if this is unique to kind of what I've seen, or maybe even just being a, a young person in college versus somebody that's been out for a little while. But I feel like back in the day, it seemed like a lot of the bands I knew that seemed like quote unquote, serious bands yeah. were just always gigging, right? So you right. had the weekly residency, you were yeah. playing three, four or five gigs a month. And now it seems like with such an emphasis on streaming and bedroom mm. recording and everyone kind of taking production into their own hands, I feel like most of the artists I know and the musicians I know are far more frequently working on recording and not playing that many shows, yeah. which I think can yeah. be a little bit of a bummer because mm-hmm. I want to go out and see my friends play all the time. But it seems like even my friends that have, you know, pretty successful projects with a lot of followers, even if they do mini tours, they'll take long breaks where they're not really out playing once a week in New York. And I yeah. don't know if that's because of the venues and that mm-hmm. it's just really hard to mm-hmm. kind of pay musicians and get out there and do it so frequently, or if it's more about just how easy it's gotten to record and people are focusing on that. And But yeah. uh, that seems to have changed quite a lot from, again, when I was like 21 in the city to now. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's a big part of it. One of the hardest things I think for, for musicians that have to have, you know, side, side, side people, um, is just the cost. It's really, I, I'm curious what, how you, how you perform live, but you know, for me, it's, that's always super daunting when you're looking at a bill and you're like, might make a few hundred dollars, definitely spending a few hundred dollars. And it's like the, the math is always like guaranteed, expenses and not guaranteed income it's always super hard so then you're like hey at least with streaming you know i'm making i'm making pennies but it's at least there's, there's like income um curious what 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 your take is on kind of the expense of playing and also how what's your lineup how do you how do you usually look in um into live performance yeah that's been the hot topic for me i feel like recently as i've yeah. still been kind of figuring that out so uh just like you said for for special shows, I want to have those. I want to book them. And I feel like there's something really, really cool about being able to play live um, and to help bring those songs to life. And that's why I originally got into music because I want to get in a room with people and make music. Like 
I have fun in my room recording and, and writing songs, but to me, my favorite, favorite part is about the collaboration, mm-hmm. which is why I think I was really happy that for this kind of quote unquote solo album, mm-hmm. I was able to turn into something so collaborative with a lot of those people that I highlighted. But when I play live, uh, I'll bring in my friends and essentially hire my friends to be the band. Right. And right. so, right. as you said, it, it, it adds up quickly. Right. So yeah. I'd love to play every week, but I want to bring in people who I think are the absolute best that are going to make the songs really shine. Right. And mm-hmm. to do that, most of those friends are the people who are gigging like pretty much every night, right. They're doing right. music for a living. Right. And so, you know, while they certainly would give me the friend rates, it's yeah. just, it really adds up really quickly. Right. And kind of yeah. like you said, oftentimes when you go to these venues, you might bring 30 people to a show, mm-hmm. but you might then get, you know, a hundred bucks or something. Right. right? right. So you're exactly. losing money when you play those shows, even when you have a lot of people coming out and you're filling a room and you're playing to some packed house, because not only did you bring 30 people, but the other three bands all brought 30, 40 people yet somehow you walk out losing money, which is, yeah. I think difficult. So yeah, totally. I've tried doing more of the solo thing recently, just so cool. I can play some, some shows mm-hmm. where I'll go, uh, with an acoustic guitar and nice. just, just play true songwriter style. Totally. But more recently I played a show, uh, I guess it was a couple months ago now, but I brought an electric and all my pedals and like a looping pedal and tried to nice. do a little bit of that, but uh-huh. it's not quite as fun for me as playing with a band. It's never quite the same experience. No, well, it's it feels way more like work when you're doing it alone because it's just like, I don't know what it is. There's just a certain energy to it. And I'm trying to crack that too, where it's like, that's, of course that's ideal because then you can do it anywhere, anytime. You don't need to handle schedules or whatever. But um, yeah, music is collaborative, especially when you write it, I think in the way that you and I write it, where we're not writing it for loops. We're writing it for a band. And like, there is like personality on every instrument and every like part. So when you flatten that personality and it's just kind of like tracks or looping or whatever, it's a little bit more difficult. But at the same time, like we were saying at the very beginning of the conversation, there's got to be a way, especially because the tunes are good. If it can pass the kazoo test, certainly there is like a way to kill it as, um, you know, somewhere in between singer songwriter and, and track track world um, solo performance, exactly. but it's hard. And it's not, I feel fun. like that's always one of the debates too. It's like, should I just go all in on Daft Punk style computer I know, music? And I know, just right? Do that? Exactly. <laughs> like, it's super tempting, right? I mean, I, I, I feel that too. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe, uh, maybe that, that's just like the economics of at least this stage. Like, I, um, for example, I, I saw, um, JW Francis, who's kind of in, in this world as well. And he's just touring just I. solo. Yeah. Yeah. You saw him too. Nice. Yeah. I saw him play, um, uh, rough trade here in the city nice. so he's actually one of my favorites as well so i've seen him play a few times now awesome yeah it was cool it was cool he did a good job cool. it was great great yeah. show yep yep so um there are ways to do it there are ways to do it but it's it's uh it's having it having a full band is there's a certain magic and there's a certain you know space between notes and conversation between players that is very very hard to replicate i think absolutely yeah um in terms of just kind of like future plans, where where is your head at in, in terms of the evolution of this project? I think it would be really cool to let the listeners in on kind of the strategic thinking of, of like arc of project and, and growth and evolution stylistically, all that kind of stuff. Just curious where your head's at looking forward. Yeah, so I think right now I'm kind of wrapping up what I would maybe think of as phase two of of this skinny dippers okay. project, right? Uh-huh. Where it's this remix project, right? So right. I've got a, a few out right now. I think yours was the second one that okay. came out. Cool. Uh, I've got a 
third one coming out nice with another artist who i met through that school of song uh, oh, great. program awesome so we met just doing these zoom song shares where it's like a big big class and uh she lives in iowa so it's another one of these very like cool. remote kind of yeah. friendship over instagram things but um for that one it was a little more collaborative where again we kind of like postal style service trade uh sent like tracks back and forth for a while yeah. and i'd be like hey i got this idea for kind of cool synth part and i'd send it over and then they'd be like yeah i've got that but now we we put some drums over that and so uh that was working with uh marissa and scott from a band called holding hour so they've just changed their name from what was previously ellison so this will be their first holding hour release and it'll be uh my song icarus emerged but oh, cool. instead of a kind of pretty folk kind of acoustic version it's a like shoegaze nice. rocker version great so can't wait different. to hear it awesome um, and tentatively the idea has been to get 10 versions of the original songs which I, as i've done it i'm like this might be really ambitious to do an uh -huh. entire like cover remix remake album yeah so i've been kind of thinking about is that realistic mm -hmm. or do i want to do some just totally alt versions of my own yeah, songs yeah, yeah. like an acoustic version of one of the like indie rocker songs mm -hmm. um for sure so i'm kind of figuring out the last stages of that for this kind of reimagined album of the town of the city which i first put out cool and then from there uh i've got a batch of songs for a second ep nice which is going to be a lot more kind of like acoustic songwriter mm -hmm. folky because this one uh Partially was inspired by a lot of the songs I wrote through that school of song class, which oh, were just cool. like me with an acoustic yeah. guitar in a room. Yeah. Um, haven't fleshed them out with a band yet, but I think it probably leans a little more towards the folkier side again. Mm -hmm. And I would say I draw from a lot of influences like Sufjan Stevens mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of thing where it's like very indie folk. And I want to have like, I would say some kind of synthesizers, but not like your big brash buzzy saw synths, like more of like, uh ethereal mm -hmm. and it's kind of whimsical okay. very folky still yeah. uh, maybe some like affected string type stuff mm -hmm. uh and that's going to be probably like a four or five song ep in addition to that i have this other kind of simultaneous project i think it'll be more singles that i'll be putting out like in between and around doing albums and eps where I've just had a lot of fun doing covers. Cool. Uh, so yeah. I think actually my most popular song right now is uh -huh. uh, a cover of this 80s song, I Just Died in Your Arms, uh, which was so much fun to make. And so I really enjoyed being able to just lean into production with friends and kind of putting my stamp or my spin mm -hmm. on these kind of classic songs and, and yes. kind of flipping them on their head because yes. I feel like, especially with an 80s song, like uh -huh. I Just Died in Your Arms, it has like such a distinct you know 80s style because i feel like you can hear 10 seconds of a song be like oh that's clearly an 80s song right yes, so right, right. The, the idea here is find incredible songs that pass the kazoo test yes but that are stuck and kind of caged in their production uh -huh. so reproduce them in another way so that mm -hmm. they have new life love it i love that and there's certainly a market for it because i mean I'm, i've seen the same thing i did a dancing in the moonlight cover and that's one of my most that, successful yeah. um for sure because uh, yeah people love it because it, it, I also think that there's something to it where when you're introducing yourself as an artist and there's no real like big marketing budget or something behind you, it's a lot to ask of a listener to be like, okay, first of all, this is me as an artist. This is a new voice that you've never heard. Here's a totally different arrangement and mixing style that you've never heard and a new song. 
And if you can like isolate any of those variables, it makes it so much easier. So like a feature with the weekend or something like that. It's all of a sudden that song is so much hey, more familiar, great. right? I'm open <laughs> so to that. Like, okay, yeah, I get it. Um, but but like say the cover is kind of does the same thing where it's like, hey, there's this familiar thing that you are you hear at the grocery store. And now the the only thing that you're hearing is my rapping around it. And then I think that it's a nice bridge to the rest of your music to be like, okay, I understand you isolated that one variable. I understand the rest now, and now I can I can hear your songs and, and get it more. At, at least that's my that's my take on it. Yeah, and that's the exact plan. You couldn't cool. have described nice. it better. It's basically Great. how do you get a foothold into new listeners, right? That right. otherwise wouldn't have heard your stuff. Mm-hmm. That can get a sense of your sound, and hopefully, if they hear that and they like it. They click on your page and they mm-hmm. go listen to something else and they say, oh, okay, like I get what this person's doing and I'm into this. Yes. But I think the key to it is it's still being your sound. Like I've seen yeah. some people that do like a cover that's like totally different style. And then it's kind of like, hey, your project's that now. Like people know you as this. And so like it's kind of <laughs> right. not that that's a bad thing. Maybe that's what they should have done all along. But um, it is a it's slightly precarious, but it's also like great great reward great risk reward sort of in in some ways um but since you know you know yourself literally like the most skinny dippers song you could ever hear right so it's like distill into like what at its core Mm -hmm. is the essence of your songs and and for like a few things it's like oh well i i love harmonies Mm -hmm. i love mixing acoustic guitar with kind of jangly electric guitars i like kind of these like dry drums kind of like dead drum sounds and so like not only is it those production choices but again it's sort of like the arrangement again right so like i'm gonna probably have a mellotron and i'm gonna have some harmonies Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna have maybe some sort of like slap back or like very specific vocal production and so i feel like if you stick within those boxes you make it totally your own right yep and but the key is you figure out those boxes before you wade it into cover land I think that's the I think that's like the lesson that I'm trying to impart to some people is like if you could go d- dive right into Coverland um without knowing yourself first then it's like who's covering who and you know you could get get turned <laughs> or the around. people who just do the like dead on covers that just sounds yeah, like yeah, a slightly yeah. different version of a right. song like what's the point of that right Yeah no I, I yeah I don't really know what the point is of that unless you want to show like vocal facility like I can do it you know then but I, I find or that. Or production, right? Like, right. Hey, I, I can, I can produce nail this it. sounds just like this yeah. cover, right? Yeah. But then you should probably be making, like, like karaoke backing right. tracks. Right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe uh, elevator music and karaoke backing tracks. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That is a very, that'd be legitimate. That'd be kind of a kind of a sweet thing. It's like, yo, I crush it. I do 500 karaoke tracks a year. <laughs> and, like, one of the most prolific musicians alive. And actually... I have some friends of friends that yeah. do something similar now to think about it cool. where like commercial work, right? Yeah, we right. have to like, yeah, we right. want this to sound kind of like a black keys song, but like, that's going to help us sell Hummers. You're like, got it. Yeah. <laughs> just like yep. the exact like distortion sound. So and, like, in other words, a black keys song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. they, just, they make like truck commercial music now. <laughs> right. But with, like, no lyrics. Basically. Yeah. Right. No, I get you. I, and I actually that um, I was I was thinking a lot about AI and commercial music is the easiest thing in my head of it being like disrupted because it basically feels like AI prompts whenever I, I've done some of that work, too. And I'm trying to read this this creative brief and there's just a bunch of words. It's almost like you're telling like Dolly, like, hey, this is what I <laughs> like paint me this song. Yeah. 
Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I love that stuff as well. And uh, when you're talking about the idea of features, I think that's an interesting one. Where yeah. pretty sure this will all be blocked. But there was mm-hmm. maybe you talked about this on one of your podcasts. I know sure. I'm a few behind, but sure. uh, there was that song that recently came out mm-hmm. that was uh, basically like Drake in the weekend. Yes, right? I think it's called right. Heart on My Sleeve. It like blew up, right? And so yeah. if there was a way to use the sound of an artist to basically make it sound like you were featuring them, mm-hmm. is that something that's good is it bad i know i personally wouldn't want to do that because i Mm -hmm. want to try to find my own voice but again if you're not saying hey this is drake in the weekend doing this and instead you just want to have hey i'd love to have a a male vocal part that sounds like i'm singing with someone in the style of drake right yeah that's still creative there's creativity oh yeah oh yeah well um one of my this is actually i haven't thought of this before so thank you for bringing this up because this this just like ringed a bell in my head um in japanese music there's a, a vocaloid um, genre and Vocaloid. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the listeners might not be. So it's like um, uh, a software that you can program all of the uh, words that you wanted to say, the pitches, and kind of the way that it's being delivered. It's kind of like Siri, and it's been out for a long time. Um, so you've, you've most people have probably heard this or they've seen the like hologram uh, pop performances in Japan, where everyone's around this like computer. Um, one of my mm-hmm. favorite uh, Japanese pop artist uh um you kenshi he uh started as a vocaloid artist and so he he was as hachi and so everybody found out that they loved his melodies because he was programming this familiar robot voice and it's like that's not that different than programming a ai drake and weekend song if you do that really well and then you just take that same thing and sing it like it's like you isolated that variable people got bought in but now Little did they know they bought into your melodies. They bought into your song form, and now you can, you can flip them over here. Just like he, he's like a top ten musical artist in Japan now, and he started with robot music. It's awesome. That's pretty cool. It's so cool, <laughs> and he's a great singer. It's like, but like he chose to go into this Vocaloid thing, uh, and it's well, that's like dope. you hear. Uh, apparently, like T Pain is like a fantastic singer. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. He uses that like auto tune as a choice. Which is cool. That's actually a good point. Auto tune is kind of the same thing. Like it has a certain timbre to auto tune itself. So when you slap a bunch of auto tune, it's like, oh, it kind of sounds like Kanye and T Pain and Bon Iver in that era. You know, it like kind of gives you that that headspace. So it's almost like wrapping your voice in a familiar thing. I mean, I guess one could say that this microphone is kind of the same thing. <laughs> like people are so familiar with the sound of this mic that it makes it sound more like this. It makes it sound more like the genre that we're in. I don't know, the bedroom, whatever. Yeah, I think I like, made that joke. I was like, let me get my podcast mic for today and take out the SM7B. So. Exactly. Exactly. It's all um it's all different versions of the same thing. Some way less extreme than others, like a microphone choice. But um, I mean, like if I was going to try to make a Beatles song that felt Beatles-y, I would use like a U47, a Neumann U47, like a tube microphone, and it would take you much more there. Or like I did a Beach Boys cover, and I used a virtual version of Capital Reverb Chambers because it's like, that'll sound like the Beach Boys. It's their, it's their reverb, you know? <laughs> so those little choices, they're all they're all not that dissimilar to having ai drake on your music <laughs> true weirdly yeah, be cool. uh, maybe one day you'll see someone like i guess i won't say any specific company names but you know yeah. one of those uh plug-in companies that will basically use ai to just 
essentially you would like choose the artist reference uh-huh. and then it would just apply the plugs to like match it so you know like oh, let's use wait waves is doing that and these. oh waves is doing waves that. is doing that yeah it's uh doing very much mixed effect um but they're they're trying to pull sure. that off um that's pretty cool yeah imagine yeah just totally recording- I mean, obviously, I guess there's you want to mic things a certain way, or you want to use you know a certain model yeah, guitar. That's so like, important. It's not just a plug-in, just the plugins. Right? So yeah, like, yeah. You're not going to get the results just by doing the plugin. Then but again, though, if you were to do a lot of the right. Have you seen the Townsend Sphere microphones? There, so I'm familiar with. That, okay, yeah. for listeners, um, the uh, so there's a microphone that is supposedly like perfectly neutral, so that they can apply a bunch of different microphone types to it so it sounds like you have a big mic locker even though you only have one six hundred dollar microphone um so like theoretically and you've got ir reverbs for rooms so you could fake it like you're in different rooms um yeah it's getting eerie you can do a lot of stuff (laughs) you know what i actually uh read about the other day is they released the uh, the ir reverbs Mm -hmm. for uh the ps1 sounds so like what? on a playstation one cool that like all the reverbs from the old playstation games oh you my can God. actually get the reverbs like it's great. free on some somebody's like Thanks. patreon or whatever thank you that uh, sounds great check it out it's yeah, cool. i will put that in there's gonna be this weird subconscious yeah. nostalgia and no one will know why oh yeah exactly i mean i've got i've got this um what's it called speakers i think um i don't remember the plugin company audio thing maybe um and it's it's like you can load ir stuff but they have a bunch of things in there and there's also like ambience uh sounds and um you can change what like the preamp and the speaker is and it has all sorts of like crazy toy um microphones and different like pa systems from throughout history and stuff and uh i don't know if we sick yeah oh, i didn't mean to cut you off but no, i, was, I don't know if we specified but when we said ir we should probably clarify that's impulse responses for people who are listening right yeah that is a very the sounds yeah and i'm pretty sure that they get that by having some sort of impulse so like a pure sine wave or a starting gun or something like that and then they measure um the way that the room or the speaker or whatever responds to that pure impulse and then apply it to other stuff think I think so. Yeah, I've heard that as well. About I, specifically, I think I heard that about like the gun sound. The gun sound, yeah. Somewhere for like, like if you was that on one of your podcasts? It might have been on one of my podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Parroting myself. It's like that's quite specific. Yeah, I know exactly because I know that they. That's how they would do um, different I, like Taj Mahal kind of like reverb. There's um, a plug-in company. It'll come to me, uh, but it's like one of the gold standard reverb ones. I've never been able to afford it because it's like a thousand dollars um but, i think uad yeah. has a bunch of those ones where you can place it in all these different rooms yeah, yeah, yeah. like famous rooms yeah i oh i use those cool like one. crazy because i i always wait for the the sales because they usually have like a sale around christmas and i just smash those i got hitsville <laughs> reverb um which is the motown um like impulse response kind of thing and it's the original detroit attic that they would use as a reverb chamber that was like not properly treated and you could hear it from the street. And um, they said that they had to go in there with microphones at all ra- random hours of the day because they had so much bleed from like trucks going by and stuff. It's one of my That's favorite cool. reverbs. It sounds I so I love that good. stuff too though. So Actually good. in my yeah. in my album, talking a little bit backtracking about the process, a bunch of the acoustic songs, uh-huh. they just sounded really naked to me. And so... Uh-huh. There's one like big city, small apartment that you want to feel like you're in New York. So literally yeah. I just have 
a mic just recording the street sounds nice. and some alleys and then like me jangling my keys walking by and like things like that that i have mixed just very quietly in the background whereas for some of the other songs that are mm -hmm. more like early album more about maine mm -hmm. i have like some crashing waves or like the sound of just the forest in my backyard and cool i feel like that stuff is so subtle but it just there's something magic about just dropping that into a track well and i also like that you took it this step further where you didn't just like search forest you're like this is the forest in my backyard <laughs> behind like, my house that's really up. cool that's really cool no i i like that like it's i tr I'll, I'll do the same thing where it's like it's not just i didn't just look up birds like these are the birds that i heard <laughs> on my walk or these are the birds i heard when i was on that hike yeah exactly i think that's a really cool thing and also i think it like frees up your head if you're thinking musically about sound design and just walking around like always kind of listening i think all of that adds up to a more i don't know creative soul yeah i'm uh thousands of voice memos deep on my iphone so <laughs> capture all kinds of stuff it's there. huge and i think that the process of capturing is almost as important as the process of using because just you have your antenna up and just by having your antenna up you're more engaged more of the time and you end up being better i think yeah totally or i think another fun trick for people that i don't think i'm unique and i think tons of people do this yeah. but sometimes that melody just strikes when you're in the middle of nowhere right so i've literally yes. been on Good. the subway on my way to work when I just think of a melody. And so my song Wedding Ring, which is uh, one of my top songs by streams, literally the melody came to me while I was on the subway. And cool. so I just hummed something into my phone, went home later and like wrote some words to it, figured out the chords and then wrote the song over basically what was a voice memo. That's great. So cool I mean, way to start, you know, tap into that inspiration when it strikes. Well, and think about actually like that, that's all of your time. You can maybe hear yeah. it. Go for it. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you were you were saying you could hear the subway because they're. Uh -huh. Yeah, you can hear like cars going oh, by. Cool. There was like a engine flare, like oh. a muffler firing, because I'm right here. Just I'm right on a pretty busy street in New uh -huh. York, so I don't know how much. Uh, no, sound I'm, I've got cancellation pretty, this year. But. Once I crank that compression, the listeners might be able to hear it, but I'm good right now. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> right but now. but jumping off your point, I think that it's it's um it's so eye opening when you're like always ready to write and always thinking of melodies and stuff or even little rhythms, whatever, because think about how much time you actually spend in the chair saying, I'm writing a song versus how much time you spend just walking around or living your life or getting from point A to point B. Um, by opening that all of that time up to songwriting, now all of a sudden you've, you've exponentially increased the amount of time that you could be thinking of a melody or coming up with something great. Um, and your brain's different every day. So, record it i love it that's awesome subway Subway's a perfect place yeah. for it the transportation those liminal spaces those are those are huge i was gonna say it's also no pressure right i yeah, feel like yeah, yeah. i'm someone who's maybe not the best at this but when i sit down and i'm like oh it's sunday and i'm gonna write a song today i put a lot of pressure on myself and then i can't write anything because it's like no i've i'm just not naturally tapping into whatever i'm feeling i'm telling myself i have to write a song and now i'm i'm not gonna write a good song right? <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so uh -huh. Like capturing that lightning in a bottle is always, I feel like, way more productive than trying to seek it out. I wish I had that skill. I think I know mm -hmm. some friends that have developed enough of a process that they can kind of open that up. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's something that I'd like to work on more. But mm -hmm. I feel like for me, I have to more just take advantage of those moments when I can other than trying to manufacture them. Totally. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's fully manifested it so they could call it at any time, except for maybe like John Lennon, Paul McCartney. But <laughs> like... Yeah, I mean, I've I definitely have felt myself get better at that. Um, 
and uh but it is a lot of it is like vibe and being able to try to force yourself into like a flow state i like consider myself flow state addicted um yeah so i try to get there another thing i would share yeah is uh going back to that school of song ideas yes, and things i might have learned from that. But, yeah. uh, on that topic of kind of I won't call it forcing inspiration, but maybe uh-huh. channeling inspiration. Channeling, yeah. Uh, the thing that's been maybe the biggest help to me, it was even something I was doing without realizing it is this idea of presets. So okay. limiting yourself to focus on a very specific criteria so that all you have to do is stay within the bands of that criteria. Because I know for me, when you just say, I'm going to write a fantastic song, yeah. all, all of a sudden paralyzed by choice and all the different things you might do. Whereas if you say, I'm going to write a song that uses three chords, uh, that's in a minor key, that's about pigeons, like mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's much easier, right? Because there's only so many things you can do. And so you've just got to work with that framework. And so mm-hmm. for me, that's been hugely helpful is just realizing that you've got to start somewhere and mm-hmm. it can always evolve later. Mm-hmm. And so I've had a lot of fun working on some songs where I had a song where I sat down and I had just gotten this new little MIDI keyboard and some new synth stuff. And I was like, I'm going to write a song about the matrix. Cool. <laughs> like it was very specific. I could just yeah. focus on a certain type of lyrical content. I knew how I wanted to arrange it. And it was really easy because I knew exactly what it had to be. And it was also based off of, uh, a certain chord progression I already had where I, I kind of knew like, I'm just going to sit down. I know exactly what I'm going to write. I like that. I like that. I like the, yeah, creative parameters. And I also like that second part of you said that you said, um, it can always evolve later. I like that too, where it's like not like having parameters fairly rigid, but knowing when it's time to blow out a wall, like, like I I actually second verses for me are the ultimate, like that, because the first verse is your parameters. You're like, this is what the song is about. This is how I'm saying it. This is kind of the loose rhyme screen, rhyme, rhyme scheme and melody. And now we're at the second verse. We're at the repeat. It's like, how much do you want to repeat? Or do you want to just blow it up and do something completely different? Or do half and half? Or that's that's one of my favorite places to play and also to, you know, use those use those creative parameters that you build for yourself and then sometimes knock down a wall. Yeah. Hundred percent. It can be tricky though. I feel like that's oh, yeah. why sometimes the second verse can be tough because you've got to hardest squeeze part of the song. it into the parameter. Hardest part of the song. No problem. Like nothing is close. Cause it like I used to think that the bridge was the hardest part of the song, but the bridge is so optional at this point. Um, just with how modern music has gone, you can just do the chorus three times uh, at the end and people are cool with that now. So you don't really need it. But the second verse losing that really like gums up the whole perception of the the delayed gratification and then re-gratification of that chorus returning. Um, it's, yeah, I, I struggle the most with second second verses as well, which is probably why I end up writing totally different melodies or pretty hardcore melodic variations because it's just like, I don't want to do that again because <laughs> it's boring or, or yeah. like I need to do something else to, um, to not, to, to continue to progress. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? What, what's, what's the hardest part of, songwriting for you is it second verses is it anything specific rhythms chords like what what is the thing that you end up like getting hung up on most i feel like it's a little bit of a cop-out but lyrics lyrics no so no, no it's I not a cop-out like right cop i could write melodies yeah all day long yeah and i love playing around putting different arrangements on things but to me finding something that actually resonates with me is why i find it hard because like 
I feel like rhymes come fairly easily and you can write things, but to write something that is cohesive and means something to me or that I want to sing about, I feel like is, is just tricky because I could just spill words all day, mm-hmm. but to actually feel like I'm connecting with something, I feel like it's got to be a little special. And so yeah. I put too much pressure sometimes on myself because I think that way, <laughs> like it's okay. got to be special. It's got to uh-huh. be the best thing I've ever written. Right. right and right. I think sometimes you've got to forget that until you're actually a ways into it. Yeah. I also think, you know, something I've tried to do more is let's say you're trying to write that second verse, write 10 verses, right. And then keep mm-hmm. the two best or the mm-hmm. two that connect the most or whatever it is that leads you to two. Right. Because mm-hmm. I think I used to just be like, I've written the first verse. Now I'm going to write the second verse and then I'm going to write a chorus and then I'm going to be yeah, done. Right? right. But I think that idea of just like, no, you have this whole block you can mold and, mm-hmm. and chisel as you see fit. And so, uh, iterating on things, playing with it, coming up with like, weird variations sometimes when you get to that seventh verse where you've like warped <laughs> it into something completely different is where cool. you're like oh this is where it's actually getting juicy right 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 so i think lyrics would be toughest but also in terms of something structurally like oh second verses are hard mm-hmm. for me i've tried to just throw song format out the window uh-huh. um, and i uh-huh. write pretty i would say standard pop songs mm-hmm. but a lot of my songs will be like abc abc where it's like mm-hmm. a verse a pre-chorus and a chorus or like playing around with this idea of like a post-chorus, you know, something yeah. that happens after the chorus, but it doesn't yet go back to the verse. And so mm-hmm. I love just messing with simple form things like that. Totally agree. I love that. Yeah, that helps break up so much. And also, I think it allows you to have stream of consciousness moments, like when they do strike, you know, because they don't always strike. But every once in a while, you're like, oh, no, I got way more to say, or I've got this whole different left turn. It's like, let's throw a pre-chorus in, even though there was no pre-chorus before the chorus that time, the second chorus, let's throw a pre-chorus in or whatever. I I agree with you. Playing with song form is one of the most potent tools in the toolkit to, to keep it fun. Yeah, for everybody, not just the writer, but for the listener. I'm excited for Absolutely. like your like American Pie someday, like where you write the ten verses, but you're like, I'm keeping all ten. You know, that's 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 <laughs> what I'm I'm here for. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I've never written a song that's more than like four minutes. My songs tend yeah, to be yeah. pretty short, but I'd be curious to do the like eight minute song. Oh, it's- but I don't know. I think you'd have to have a lot of, you know interesting chord changes like i'm all about the interesting chord changes too so i feel like maybe i glazed over one of the most interesting parts but when i said yeah i've got to find some chords and put a melody over it usually it's like some sort of weird chord pattern that might have like borrowed one particular transition from a song where it's like okay going from that minor and then going down a half step and staying on the major like that's pretty cool where it has this one kind of tonic note like that's a mm-hmm. cool transition mm-hmm. and then i'll build a whole song around that so okay. it's like one of those little ideas is usually what sparks a new song or it's like oh, literally cool. i just learned a new chord like i'm gonna write a song around that like so, those are the things that get me really excited so to make sure that i'm following you're saying you have like one tune and there's something harmonically interesting in tune a and that spawns tune b because you're taking that harmonic nugget and you're developing it into another tune is that what you're saying or no i was even saying like if you hear something that inspires you right yeah yeah yeah. Uh, okay i go grab a guitar and i figure out what was that weird change or what is that interesting chord that i haven't heard right Uh Uh you figure it out and then i'm inspired to want to write a song using that chord that i haven't written into a song before right? i like it yeah yeah and then you have that harmonic development and one of my one of my previous songwriting people it was basically said like you can't that is having strong chords the me- the strong melodies just can like fall from them 
um, which is what makes three chord songs like the most difficult thing in the world, especially nowadays, because it sounds sometimes this can sound really old for some like just because that's what songs used to be. So it's hard to make like modern three chord songs. But I, I challenge myself to that, too, because I like your your creative parameters and I have I have a few, um, but they're they're the hardest ones to write for me, too. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, I like the idea of like developing a harmonic nugget into an entire entire finished piece with that kind of is the the keystone of the whole thing i think that's that's a really uh really cool way to do it i like that a lot yeah um that's actually my um my song feels so good i did that pretty much because i wanted to use an augmented chord going into a post-chorusy thing um and so that's like the linchpin between the the feel so good hook and the other stuff and then everything was kind of built around that because I just thought it sounded so sick. And like nobody's using on Manitorns anymore. And you know, I was like, I gotta, gotta help, gotta help the cause. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. I think kind of the same thing is like in my song, Big City Small Apartment, I had just learned this chord. It's a pretty easy one, but it's just a A, a or sorry, A minor over F sharp. Okay. And it just has this really interesting sound to it, I think, where yeah. it's like oh, you've yeah. got the kind of sadness of the the minor chord but then it's just got that f sharp that gives it this interesting change to it and so mm -hmm. uh it just goes from sort of a c down to that note and so that is the entire song basically cool. <laughs> is, is written yeah. around that um, just because i was playing around and stumbled across that chord and then that inspired me to write the whole song yeah that's really nice and i, I like that that point too about um you can take those simple chord shapes but throwing something else in the bass and completely recontextualize it that's what um uh, Sting has said that in some interviews about how like he loves being the bass player because he can determine whether or not a chord's major or minor, and it's just like nobody can do anything about it. He can just yeah. be like, I'm playing down here now, and now everything sounds sadder. I'm gonna play an F sharp over that A minor, and now everything sounds you know jazzy or more interesting. And it's it, the power of those bass notes is is immense. I feel like that's a fun bridge trick too. If yeah, you need is. a bridge. Yeah, it's to keep the chords similar, but start throwing in the funky root notes. That's that way, cool. you can get some interesting changes. Really, really good trick. I love that. That's a really good one. Any other, any other, um, any other songwriting tips or tricks? I like, I like. You've you've been rattling off some really good ones. I'm hoping that this will lead to some inspiration out there. How about uh, how about like uh, techniques or, <laughs> or 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 exercises that you had to do? Like you were saying, you had the the creative parameter limiting um did you have to do any like time limited stuff like maybe like you know write a tune in a 90 minutes or or whatever like any of that kind of stuff yeah a lot of them were like that cool. um sometimes unintentionally so, yeah, 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 so yeah, i'm that, that uh, person that always you know wrote the essay with two hours to go before class or to write so like i feel like i thrive under that pressure mm -hmm. and so i need to have those deadlines so doing something like this school of song course or doing some sort of cool. weekly meet up with your friends, whatever it might be, something that holds you accountable is an amazing motivator. So that was the biggest part I think of, of the class was just knowing that I was going to have to share something over zoom with a small group of people that were expecting to hear a song yes. and not wanting to completely embarrass myself. Right. Yes. Um, there were some cool ones in there. So one of them, a lot of them sound so obvious, but it was just about trying to get, as specific as possible. So okay. one of the ones that's going to be on my next EP, I literally wrote everything in the room that was around me, the sounds that I was hearing, like, you know, what I'm smelling and just, and just really, really trying to put yourself 
in a physical space mm-hmm. and then trying to write a song from that. Mm-hmm. And so that I think that's always a great tip is just to try to think about it that way because a lot of people, I think, have trouble doing the the show don't tell, right? When you yes. write words, you want to kind of make an experience rather than just saying this happened, then this happened, and then yeah. another thing happened, right? Right. And I so, feel this way. I want this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think trying to just describe something in the most ridiculous level of specificity is is maybe I would say like one of the skinny dippers tricks. Like cool. most of my songs have these crazy specific lyrics mm-hmm. uh, where it's like, you tell me, I'm the speck of pulp on the orange peel rind. And a lot of these things are like from just conversations I was having with friends or like true life things that would never, ever have thought of except for the fact that they happened. Right. And cool. so then yeah. you twist that on its head and you figure out, well, what does this song become about? Mm-hmm. But ultimately there's, there's a theme there. Right. And so, okay, you, you said this. And then I said that you were the Brooklyn bridge. Right. And so you're comparing yeah. this speck of pulp on an orange peel to a Brooklyn Bridge all lit up. Uh-huh. And so that can be powerful. You don't have to say what that means, but when you mm-hmm. look at that comparison. And so I think that, or again, just getting hyper, hyper specific into like silly little obscurities is something I really take a lot of enjoyment out of. Cool. Uh, so I, I like love throwing too. in almost like inside jokes, but they're almost just relatable enough that someone can actually pick up on what you're talking about. Yeah. They might not know exactly what you're getting at, but mm-hmm. I feel like people are smart and like brains work in a way where even if you say something that someone wouldn't know the exact scenario, they can almost tell, okay, like this is a little secret that I'm in on now. Yes. Yeah. I like that. And I like, I like your, um, you're kind of talking about smell and sense words. I feel like that's something I want to work on. I want to do more of that. Um, cause it's, it's very, it's very palpable. And like, I don't know. I, I was thinking about like university universality of lyrics and also specificity and how they're like, they can be at odds, but also together. And that's part of the fun of songwriting is, you know, you have those verses where you can zoom in and the choruses where you can zoom out or vice versa. Um, and yeah, talking about that, that's, that's something I want to work on. I want to use more evocative sense related lyrics. Cause I think that's, that'd be good. I think people would enjoy that. Totally. <laughs> awesome. Well, I I've really enjoyed this conversation. I I feel like really fired up to go write some tunes. So um, I hope hope you feel the same way, Ryan. Um, anything Absolutely. anything else you want to add here before we start to to wrap up? I think we should just say check out the Scuba Duber remix of Highs hey, and Lows. Yes. We called it out, but uh, I think. Uh, it was really fun one getting to work with somebody that was a little bit different where I kind of mentioned, I've got my way of doing things. And so to have a song where I kind of told you about the project, sent you some stems and then to allow you to go put your complete spin on it was something that was so fun because it came back as something so completely different than what I would ever make, but so right up my alley. that uh, I think I really enjoyed it. And I think it's, it's gotten a great reception from other people that have been checking it out. So so encourage everybody to give it a spin. I'm so glad. Yeah, definitely. Definitely check that out. And, um, that that was a fun one because I didn't I didn't expect to make what I ended up making either. So it was it was just it was quite an adventure. You gave me the stuff, I synced it up, and then it just turned into its own thing. And I really like it too. It's a, it's quite a ride of highs and lows, um, a lot of emotion. So um, yeah, definitely check that out. And where else where else can they find uh, your music? Uh, any like maybe throw your Instagram handle out or something like that. We can link that in the bio too, so people can hit you up. Yeah, Skinny Dippers Band uh, on most of the socials. Um, 
I'm on Bandcamp. You can check yeah. me out there or anywhere else you stream music. So uh, check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody. This is Love Music More. I hope after this episode you love music more. Be sure to um, subscribe and throw a five-star rating if you can. It really helps to, uh, people to find this podcast and, and share it with your friends and all that good stuff. I am Scubert Dubert. My music is at scubertdubert.pizza. That's my website, scubertdubert.pizza. And I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks again for coming on, Ryan. Thanks again.